Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we talked about a godly commitment that makes no earthly sense. Join us in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Today, uh, it's an exciting day. I mean, there's a lot of things taking place. It's an exciting day because moms and dads will come forward here at the end of the service and and, uh, they will kind of line here and... Tell us about their cherubs, their little angels, <laughs> uh, some days, <laughs> their angels, and uh, they will uh, present them and dedicate them, and, them, and really, not only dedicate their children, but dedicate themselves uh, to the Lord, and you know, I believe that it's the right thing to do when we dedicate our children back to God, and you know, the Lord, I believe, also is pleased when we do right. In fact, the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, in verse number 17, it reminds us of a principle that says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so it is important that we as believers endeavor to do what's right. Uh, do we always do that? No. No, we don't always make the right choices. We don't always say the right things. Uh, Sometimes we don't always give the right expression when we, or response, when we hear news or somebody tells us something, we we bristle back or or we get angry or or whatever the emotion is. But today, I want to encourage you that we should do right. And this morning, as we look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's very apparent, this is a story about a young woman named Hannah. And it's very apparent to me from this story, by the way, the name Hannah means gracefulness. And uh, this young woman uh, from this story, she wants to do right. She is in a, in a situation that is not right. There are some things that are going on in the, in the home that are, that are indications of a morally imperfect home, but she wants to do right. And so we'll see uh, in her story that ultimately, this young woman named Hannah provides each of us with a godly example of someone who made godly choices. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, it's baby dedication. I'm not dedicating my child, so I'm just going to tune out. I want to encourage you, don't tune out, because this, this message is for everyone. And so this morning, I want to speak to you on the topic of godly commitments, or godly commitments, they make no earthly sense. When we make commitments to the Lord, the world does not understand these commitments many times. And many times they will look at believers and they'll say, oh my gosh, there they go again. Look at them. There go the holy rollers making commitments to God. You know, quite, quite honestly, with everything that's going on, I look down in Louisiana, I look at West Virginia, I look at what's going on in our country, and I look at what's going on in the world. I, 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 the more and more I get older, I'm convinced even more so. I don't know how most people deal without the Lord. I really don't. I really don't, man. I trusted Christ when I was 13 years of age. And I mean, you know, so I've, I've had Christ in my life for a lot longer than he wasn't in my life. But man, I struggle. I struggle. I look at these things that are going on. I'm like, whoa, how do you deal if your home gets flooded and you lose everything and you have no, no relationship with the Lord? You have no one to call out on. Your family disowns you or whatever is going on. And so I look at the story of Hannah and it's encouraging because this is a young woman who wants to do right. And so look with me. Let's begin by recalling some of the facts of the story. And you may have read this story before, but we're going to work our way through. So look with me in in chapter 1, verse number 1 of 1 Samuel. 
And the Bible says, now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Sophim. Say that ten times quickly. How would you like to be from Ramathaim Sophim? Hey, uh, where are you from, bro? Yeah, I'm from a little town down the road called Ramathaim Sophim. What? Where? Well, this is where he was from. The Bible says of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. The son of Jerom, Jerom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, not Tofu, but Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Notice verse number two. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. Okay, first of all, am I the only one that notices a problem right away? Chapter 2, what does it tell us right away? And he had what? I got, guys, I got news for you. Problem. Listen, I love my wife. Problem. This guy's got two wives. I'm like, are you kidding me, man? No wonder Hannah's got problems. You know, sometimes I think we see things in Scripture and we think God must have approved it because it's right there in God's Word. It says he had two wives, so I'm going to have me two wives too. Wrong. You know, Satan's in Scripture too. He's a deceiver. He's a de- he, 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 he seeks to destroy and to rule our lives with lies. Does God approve of that? No, guys. Just because something's in Scripture does not mean that the Lord approves of it. Listen, polygamy was not what God had intended for the family then. It's not what God intends for the family now. And I know it's not politically correct, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he went on down and everything. He created man. And then, guess what? He looked at man. He said, you should not be alone. And what did he do? He caused him to fall asleep. He said, go to sleep created a woman, he brought the woman unto man, and Adam said, this is uh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Praise the Lord, I'm happy. I have someone that's going to be a helpmeet to me. That was God's plan then. That's God's plan now. That's not the message for today. By the way, that doesn't mean you go out here and hate people. It means we go out and we love people. Just because somebody makes a, a, a personal choice that is not in, in recognition what God has to say, does not give you a license, it does not give me a license, it gives no church a license to go out and to be hate mongers. There, I, I've said enough on that. All right, God bless you. Here ends the reading of that portion of Scripture. It was a problem, guys. Two wives was a problem, three wives is worse, four and five. I mean, I see these shows. We have shows that are on air now that are like sister wives. I mean, what kind of crazy country are we living in where we are celebrating this? This was not approved in God's time. Listen, what's really amazing to me is here in Scripture, we find a family that's morally imperfect. We find a family that is in trouble. And yet, the amazing grace of God is about to do something so miraculous, so marvelous, that not even Hannah herself could understand it. Oh, my goodness. Let's continue reading verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, portions. 
But unto Hannah, notice what it says, unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. Now notice, I want you to notice the word worthy. The word worthy, when he gives her a worthy portion, what the Bible is telling us is that he gave Hannah the choice or the best portion because he loved her. Now, can you imagine Peninnah's rage? I'm the one who gave you children. And every year you go up to offer. Every year we go up. We make this trip to Shiloh. And every year we get there, all you can do is look at Hannah. All you can do is give her the very best. All you can do is love on her. All you can do is encourage her. And here I am. I'm the one who has given you children left and right. And what do you give me? What do you give my children? You give me the leftovers. You give this other woman who's done nothing for you. You give her the choice. I can, hey, I hate to be Penina. I really do. But you see, Penina, she reacts the wrong way because notice what the Bible says. Because of her jealousy, continue verse 6 and following. It says, and her adversary, and that's speaking of Penina, also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord shut up her womb. Let's just stop right there for a second. So what does Penina do? Every time they go, okay, and By the way, some have suggested that Hannah and Peninnah, which is probably pretty smart for Elkanah, some have suggested that these women did not live in the same home. Probably a smart thing, okay? And that the only time that they would be around one another is on this yearly trek to the temple at Shiloh to offer sacrifice and for the time of festival and worship. And so they would see each other. But every year, here comes that nagging woman just beating her down just beating Hannah down time and time again, provoking her, the Bible says, to soar, to make her to fret. Notice what verse 7 says. And as he did, speaking of Elkanah, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, speaking of Peninnah, so she provoked her, Hannah, therefore she, or Hannah, wept and did not eat. This was so egregious, this bothered Hannah so much that she could not even eat. And I would suggest that She may be fasting as well. We can see a little bit more as we continue. Notice what verse number 8 says. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest not thou? Why is thy heart grieved? Are you kidding me? Do you have to be blind, Elkanah? Are you you that much of a buffoon that you do not see what is going on year after year after year? You're giving the best to Hannah, and over here, Peninnah, who has given you children, is, is condemning her, is talking about her, is beating her down, and you can't see what's going on, and you wonder why your wife is crying, why she is weeping, and why she's not eating. Are you serious? Get a clue. But then notice what he says. He says, why is our heart grieved? And... This is just like a lot of men. And I'm sorry, I'm a man, but this is like a lot of men. Am not I better to thee than ten sons? You don't need all that. You got me. You got me, the husband of two wives. You got me who splits time with you and then goes and spends time over here. You got me, babe. It's like Sonny and Cher all over again. You got me. I got you, babe. Every year, this is a crazy story, man. This is every year they go to Shiloh 
And every year, the same scenario, fueling the fire, so to speak, with both women, Peninnah and Hannah. Hannah's already miserable. She's already filled with continual grief and disappointment that she cannot have children. She is barren. Peninnah's hurt because, uh, because of the way that her husband treats the other wife. And so her hurt causes her to treat Hannah with cruelty. And then Elkanah, he's over there trying to console Hannah, asking her questions that really... Bro, do you not have a clue what is going on in your own family? This family's in disarray. But I want to encourage each and every person here this morning. You may not be sitting here. You may not be a lady who's praying for a child. You may not be a lady who's had a lot of child. You may not be a man who doesn't have a clue. It does not make a difference what your situation is here this morning. I want to encourage you to do what Hannah did. Because Hannah made some serious, godly choices in the verses that follow. And it doesn't matter what you're facing today. It doesn't matter what I'm facing today. It doesn't matter what we will face in the days ahead. We can do exactly what Hannah did. And here's what she did. Number one, if you're a note taker, she commits her situation to God. She's got a problematic family. Uh, She's in a polygamous marriage. The other wife continues to beat her down to scorn. Her husband has no clue uh, uh, at the hurt that is going on in her life. But what does Hannah do? She commits it to God. She says, this situation is too big for me. Notice what verse number 9 and 10 say in the Bible. The Bible says, so Hannah rose up after they, not her, they had eaten. Remember, she's not eating. She's not eating. She rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon the seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, the Bible says. And what did she do? Notice what she does. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Hannah goes... After they eat, she goes to the porch of the temple and she lifts up her situation. She lifts up her prayer requests. She's weeping and she's calling out passionately. She makes this plea to the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 42, verse number 3, was just like Hannah. He actually prays these words. He says, my tears have been my meat day and night. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in such a situation where you wept and you wept and you wept? The psalmist said, my tears, my tears, he says, have been my meat day and night. While they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Listen, Hannah's situation is not a good situation, but at least she's smart enough to know that she cannot handle her situation alone. Therefore, she commits her problems, her need, her want, and her desire to God. Do you think that she wanted a child? After this woman beats her down year after year for not having children, she definitely wanted a child. Do you believe that she felt like in her heart that she needed a child? I do. Man, you know, the Bible says if you'll call out upon the name of the Lord, he will hear you, he will answer you. He'll show us great and mighty things which we don't even know. We can't even comprehend. And this is Hannah's situation. Guys, whether it be in good times or bad times, I want to encourage you, we would all be, do well to do the same thing that Hannah did. And the problem is it's not normal many times. See, when we face horrific situations in our life, we all have a tendency to do uh, this thing where we try to deal with it on our own. You know, we take the situation, you know, it's like, it's okay, God, I got this bull by the horns. 
I'm going to deal with this one. Yeah, anybody done that? You know, it's like, I got it. I got it. And then all of a sudden, the bull's thrown you off. And you're laying over there, and there was no mat to catch you. And you're like, God, I guess I do need your help. Listen, no matter what you're facing, whether it's a good times or bad times, we can call upon the name of the Lord. Many times we worry and fret over things that we have no business worrying and fretting over. In fact, I heard this comical story about a woman who for many years could not sleep at night because she was worried that her home would be burglarized. One night, her husband heard a noise in the house, so he went downstairs to investigate what was going on. When he got downstairs, he found a burglar, and he says, hey, he says to the burglar, he says, hey, can you come upstairs and meet my wife? She's been waiting to meet you for 10 years. Every night, she's worried that a burglar's coming. He says, hey, can you come meet her? She's wanting to meet you for 10 years. Listen, can I tell you something? A burglar may come in your home and rob you once, but this problem of worry and fret will rob you night after night, day after day, month after month, year after year, if you don't learn, if we don't learn collectively to give our situations to God. He wants to take control of our situations. The problem many times is we fail to give them to him. Worry steals our health. It steals our ability to cope with life in general. I'm so thankful for that passage in Psalm 37 where the psalmist David, he says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. In John 10.10, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come, though, that they might have life and that, they may, and that they might have it more abundantly. Guys, when we're faced with adverse situations or unpleasing situations, we need to do what Hannah did. We need to learn to trust. We need to learn to trust more in God's grace. We need to learn to trust more in God's sovereignty. He is sovereign. He is still on his throne. He is still in control. We need to learn to trust him more. More of him, remember what I said a few months ago? And less of me? Isn't that what John the Baptist said? I must, he must increase and I must decrease. Oh, we need to give our situation to the Lord. In fact, last week I was talking to you from that text in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul, he prays three times for this this thorn in his flesh to leave him. And the Bible tells us in, in verse number 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that God answers his prayer and says, no, 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 three times. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Oh, the Lord's grace is sufficient today. He has not run out of his grace today. It did not expire last night at midnight. He has grace for you today. Maybe you're in an unjust situation today. Maybe you're in a horrific situation at work or in the home. Maybe you're uh, single and you desire to be married. I'll pray for you. Listen, maybe maybe you're without a job. No, I love my wife and we're excited to be married. And you know what? My wife, I told you last week, You pray for her because she has to put up with me. But I'm not oblivious. Listen, maybe you're without a job today. Maybe you're unhappy with your job. Maybe you're a single parent raising a child by yourself and you feel like you've been left for dead. Maybe you're burdened as Hannah was about having a child. Maybe you're facing some other situation and I don't even know what the situation is. But I do know this. Just like Hannah did there in Scripture and just like my wife and I have learned over the years, We must learn, if not now, when? We must learn to put more trust in God and less trust on self with the situations that we face. 
There's an old hymn entitled, Leave It There. You probably don't know the words, but the chorus says this. It says, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Oh, Hannah committed her situation to God. The second thing she did was she committed herself to God. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to commit my situation to God. I got news for you. You better commit yourself to God first. You see, because you can, you can throw that Hail Mary pass and commit something to God, but if you're not willing to submit and commit yourself to, to God yourself, then good luck with it. Notice what she does. Notice verse 11 and following. The Bible says, and she vowed a vow. Remember, she's just prayed in verse number 10 and wept sore. Verse number 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. There shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, notice, she doesn't say it once. Notice, and it came to pass as she what? continued praying before the Lord that Eli, this is the priest, marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Listen, she commits herself to God, and her personal commitment to God is seen through her personal commitment to prayer. You know, a real person of prayer is going to exhibit some things in their life. I mean, truly. You know, I've seen people who pray once, and then they get up and they never pray again about a situation. But a person who has committed themselves to prayer, they're going to see some things that you're going to see some things that are evident of that commitment in their life. Listen, a person of prayer is someone who uh, is committed uh, to prayer is going to be humble. See, when you pray, you have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge that you can't take care of, remember, the situation, and you're actually giving it to God. And so through that prayer, you're humbling yourself saying, God, I, I I can't handle this on my own. And so I need you to answer and to provide according to your will and to your way. Listen, she refers in verse number 11 of that text when she's praying to God and she vows a vow, she refers to herself to the Lord three times. She calls herself thine handmaid. When she says that, what she is communicating to God, she says, I'm humbly committed. Lord, I'm humbly committed. I'm devoted to you. and I need you to hear my prayer. I need you to, listen, this is too much for me to bear. This is too much for me to go through year by year. Lord, will you remember my prayer? Listen, none of us can be true prayer warriors without humbling ourselves. In fact, last week I shared with you in James chapter 4, verse 6, that the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Listen, a person of prayer is going to be committed 
uh, to prayer is going to be humble. A person who is truly committed to prayer is also going to be a person who depends on God. Listen, the first part of Psalm 37, 7, David says, rest in the Lord. Depend on the Lord. Quit, quit trying to work out something of your own. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. In Matthew chapter 11, our Lord Jesus Christ, he said this. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Anybody in need of rest today? The only way that you will find rest for your soul is if you will put your dependence upon the Lord. That's what Hannah did. It's exactly what she did. She was a, a woman of humble spirit. She was a woman who depended on the Lord. But she was also a woman through her proof of commitment to the Lord. She was a woman who was walking with the Lord. Notice what David says in Psalm 23, verse number 4. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh, even when he said, David said, when I'm walking through that valley of the shadow of death, the bad times, the low times of life, he says, thank you, Lord, for being with me. I'm going to walk with you, even though it hurts today. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to remember that you are on your throne not some person, not some other, other being, but you, God, are on your throne. In Micah chapter 6, in verse number 8, the Bible says this. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to what? Walk humbly with thy God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible reminds us in verse number 7 that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. This is what Hannah did. Hannah committed her situation to the Lord. She committed herself to God. And just as she did, we need to do the same as well. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. The Bible says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Oh, she worshiped God through her humility towards God, her dependence on God and her walk with God. I was sharing with Travis the other day. I read this quote. I thought it was really good. In fact, I should have put it up on the screen for you, but you can write it down. Someone said this, said, uh, worship, W-O-R-S-H-I-P, worship is worth-ship. Worship is worth-ship, W-O-R-T-H hyphen-ship. Listen, and it goes on, it says, it's the honor paid to someone of superior worth. Worship is worship. That's what Hannah knew. She knew that the only one worthy of her worship was the one who was high and lifted up, sitting upon his throne, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there's so much more in this story, but for the sake of, the, sake of time, let us end by looking at this last point. Not only did Hannah commit her situation to the Lord and commit herself to the Lord, but in the end, remember, she vows this vow. In verse number 11, in the end, she commits her very best to God. She commits her very best to God. Notice what verse number 19 and following says. And they rose up in the morning. This is the night after that Hannah finally begins to eat. Her countenance begins to change. The Bible says she's no more sad. And then in verse number 19, it says, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. 
But Hannah went not up. For she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide. Notice what she says. For how long? Forever. And Elkanah, her husband, just, you know what? This is the one thing Elkanah did that I told Travis was right the other day. Look at what he, look at what he says. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, do what seemeth thee good. <laughs> do what you want, honey. I'm not going to stand in the way. This is what you, what you want to do. You do what you want. Now notice it goes on. It says, tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one evaph of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, little L. Remember, she's talking to little L, Lord, not the Lord. She says, as my soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also have I lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah fulfills the prayer that she makes back in verse number 10, 11, and 12. She then takes uh, Samuel and offers him back. And I know a lot of people will say, hold on. Was she bargaining with the Lord? She said, Lord, if you'll remember me, I'll give him back to you. Was that a bargaining chip? No. I want you to know what she was doing. She was willfully committing her very best to the Lord. She said, this situation is problematic. This situation is horrific. But Lord, if you'll answer my request, if you'll answer my plea, then I will give that answer back to you in recognition of your goodness, in recognition of your mercy, in recognition of your grace, in recognition of you doing what I cannot do on my own, Lord, I will give it back to you. In verse 27 and 28, we find that Hannah kept her word, something that seems to be in rare supply these days. After she weans Samuel, she delivers her more properly. In fact, it says, I have lent him to the Lord. That phrase, I have lent him, actually more properly rendered should state, I have given him. She gives him back to the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 4. The Bible reminds us of a principle when it says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which hast thou, thou hast vowed. That's exactly what Hannah did. And I don't know about you mothers here, because you can speak to it better than men or anybody else. The typical Jewish weaning period was three years. So at three years of age, the woman who was barren, the woman who had no children, who prays for children, takes the one thing that God has blessed her with. Remember, this is it. Puts him in Eli's hands. She turns and she goes back home. Now, you can read in chapter 2 that she goes yearly up to worship and yearly she makes a coat for her son just like a mother I can't even imagine how horrifying that is to think about leaving your child oh she vowed a vow and she paid her vow she said oh thank you God for doing what only you could do 
Listen, I want to encourage you today, whatever your situation is that you're facing, you may be facing financial ruin right now. You may be facing some spiritual wickedness in high places that's having and wreaking effect in your life. No matter what you're facing, you can commit that situation. You can commit yourself and you can commit the very best of you back to God. And He'll hear you and answer you and show you great and mighty things. Which I know it's not. I'm convinced of it because He's done it in my life. As Christians, we have been blessed by God. We should see ourselves as the stewards of the things that He gives us, no matter whether it's a child or whether it's a paycheck, a home, or the stewardship of our influence. He gives it to us. We ought to manage it for His honor and His glory. If you're here as a parent this morning and you're ready to dedicate your children, I want to remind you that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, verse 6, that we're to train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. In Psalm 127, right after it talks about the Lord builds the house and he establishes it, the Bible says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. But after we raise up our children, after we deal with our situations, especially these children, we're to let them go. You know, I never asked my son to go into ministry. I know Larry and Jackie never asked their boys to go in ministry and others who have had family members go in ministry. In fact, I've told them if they can do anything else, please do it. Please do it. Hey, listen, ministry ain't for the faint-hearted. You know what I mean? But it's so enjoyable. Man, it's such a pleasure, isn't it? Brother Herb, it's such an honor to serve the Lord and to serve people, to be able to love God, to love His Word, and to love people. Man, that's, that's a privilege. In fact, Wednesday night, Barry Barlow was talking about miracles. And he, I was telling Herb this the other day at lunch, and, and he had us close our eyes. And he said, think of a time when God performed a miracle in your life. And then when you're in the midst of the valley, when you're in the midst of problems, adversity, and everything, close your eyes again and remember that miracle that God performed in your life. And Herb is a testament to this. I shared with him the other day. We were having lunch. I said, when I closed my eyes on Wednesday night, I remember November the 24th, 2013, when God called and the people of Battlefield called me to be their pastor. I was like, what a miracle. Here's the son of a Methodist minister now becoming the pastor of Battlefield Baptist Church. Are you kidding me? God's got a sense of humor. Here's a guy who spent 21 plus, almost 22 years in the military who had no idea about ministry. God says, hey, I got something else for you. Go out here. I'm going to do something else with you. I'm not finished with you. That's a miracle. I couldn't have done it on my own. I want to encourage you, you can't do it on your own either. When God performs a miracle in your life, hold on to that miracle when you're going through the adverse times like Hannah was. And recall that time and look back with excitement and say, He did it then, He can do it now. He did it then, He can do it tomorrow. Oh, He is great and mighty. He's able to do all things. She committed her situation. She committed herself. She committed her very best to God. And so I simply ask you these questions and I close with prayer. Where? What about you this morning? What about you? Where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? You say, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Man, I want to encourage you. Do it today. Call upon the name of the Lord. 
It's simple, guys. I don't even have to tell you what to say. Here's what you say. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to come into my life. I need you to change me from the inside out, period. If you say that and you mean it from your heart, my Bible says he will hear and answer. Because the Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe, maybe you've taken a back seat and said, I don't want to serve the Lord anymore. I don't see the need in it. Man, I want to encourage you. Call upon the Lord. What, whatever situation you're dealing with, have you given it completely to the Lord? Have you given yourself? Have you given the opportunity to give your very best to God? Godly commitments, I can tell you this. Godly commitments never make earthly sense. When I told my wife, when we surrendered our lives to whatever God had for us in 1997, and we were sitting right back there. I don't know if it was where Mark's sitting or where Herb's sitting, but it was either the third row or the fourth row. We committed our lives to serve the Lord. We had no earthly idea what God was going to do. Hey, can I tell you it's been like this? Anybody else live a life like that? Hey, by the way, if your life's like this, you're dead. Medically speaking, too. If your spiritual barometer is this, there's a problem, guys. He's the God of the mountaintops. He's the God of the valleys. Godly commitments will never make earthly sense. But I want to challenge you and encourage you to do it just the same. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.